Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the January 22nd, 2024 land use meeting of the Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council. I'm glad everybody is here. And we will start tonight with um, Councilmember Thomas. Would you lead us in the pledge, please? allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Tojo. Uh, may we have the roll call, please? Yes, Member Thomas. I'm here. Member Prokopov. Here. Member Moore. Here. Member Killebrew. Present. Member Carboni. Present. Vice Chair Padro. Present. Chair Mulgrew. Present. Some folks here. All right. Um, this is the time in the agenda where we open up for public announcements or public comments on any item that is not on tonight's agenda. And tonight's agenda is just the Environmental Justice Award, not just as in minimally, but only the environmental justice uh, item. So if you have anything you wish to say about something other than that, uh, please fill out a speaker card or just walk right up to the podium. Um, if you're online, please hit the raise hand button at the bottom of the screen and you will be given three minutes to chat. Thank you. Uh, nobody online has raised their hand. If you're on the telephone and wish to speak, you can press star nine and that will raise your virtual hand and you can go ahead and speak. Nobody online has raised their hands. All right. Sir, do you wish to speak on? Come on up. Come on up, Kelly. All right. So this commission and many people in Castro Valley are under the impression that there's this structure of general plan and there's a big grand plan and then we implement it with these various specific plans and different and uh, each site development review everything is follows in the in the logical order. Um, now, when and the, part of that general plan is uh, let's build uh, let's stop building so many private streets. Let's have these. Uh, stop building the private streets, start building more public public streets, mainly for maintenance reasons, because uh, 40 years from now, you're, nobody's going to maintain that private road. And nobody's going to go out there with a the big, you know, those suction, uh, those sewage pump trucks that they pump out the drains, keep the drains working. They don't do that on the private streets. The county might do it on their public works agency with those big, big sewage sucky trucks, but not the private streets. And nobody, nobody repays private streets. And they don't put in sidewalks on some of the private streets. And uh, it, that's why Castor Valley has got this big problem with no sidewalks and a lot of private streets. And uh, so when this commission approved a private, a uh, public street with eight or nine or 10 units on it recently, just got reversed at the next level. So we have the plans, but on a case by case, individual basis, we have this uh, pushback, this little, this, um, um, kind of a, a private revolution, um, insurgency, insurrection against your commission and against the people of Castor Valley to keep doing what you've always done, build private streets, don't maintain them, 
and uh, make Casper Valley uh, a worse place and let, you know, for the little kitties to get, uh, or their mothers to get run over. Um, and uh, secondly, the uh, there's a watercourse protection ordinance. And then some of you may have seen that uh, story in the newspaper about uh, nice parks that they have in San Mateo, forests of redwood trees. And those, those uh, tree huggers at the San Mateo County government, San Mateo County government, they filled with tree huggers many years ago, in 1970 or whenever. These tree huggers bought each tree one by one and saved it. And they saved the whole forest this, this way. Now here in Alameda County, when it comes to saving creeks, we can't even define the creeks. We've already erased half of them. And, we have, uh, and we've been talking for two years or a year or for a long time about re uh, restoring the creeks. Nothing's happening. And uh, when those people in San Mateo, when they went to save their, their trees, they didn't go to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. They didn't go to the US Forest Service and ask them, we want to consult with you. Is this a tree? No, they just went out and bought them. They put on their big boy pants to save the creeks. And that's what we should do with saving the, uh, save the trees, save the creeks. Thank you, Kelly. Do we have anyone else that wishes to speak in the room? Do we have anyone online? Nobody is online. All right. We will close public announcements and public comments at this time. And we have no minutes to approve, nothing on the consent calendar. So let us get into item G, the regular calendar. Consideration of recommendations for adoption of the environmental justice element. Uh, the version dated January 8th, 2024. Good evening. Um, happy to be back with you. I'm Allie Abers with the uh, planning department. And um, thanks for sharing my slides with me, Daryl. So um, I'm here this evening again to present an overview of the environmental justice or EJ element. Um, it's related environmental assessment as required under the California Environmental Quality Act or CEQA um, and changes to the revised draft environmental justice element that we've made um, in response to input that we've received um, at and since your November 27th, 2023 meeting on this item. Um, so our staff recommendation is that your council review the second revised draft EJ element, take public testimony on the draft and the CEQA notice of exemption and provide comments before considering uh, to forward, excuse me, considering a vote to forward the EJ element and CEQA notice of exemption to the planning commission with the recommendation that the EJ element be adopted by the board of supervisors. Next slide, please. All right, so I will start with a brief overview of the project and process, which I know is uh, probably quite familiar since we just talked about it a couple of months ago. So as a reminder, in 2016, Senate Bill 1000 established environmental justice requirements for general plans for all California cities and counties. Uh, SB 1000 requires jurisdictions that have disadvantaged communities as uh, defined in the legislation to incorporate EJ policies into their general plans, either as uh, a separate element or by integrating EJ goals, policies, and objectives throughout other elements. So in compliance with SB 1000, local jurisdictions are required to identify policies and objectives that prioritize improvements and, and programs that address the needs of disadvantaged communities in six required topic areas, which are listed on this slide and which I will discuss more in just a minute. So in response to Senate Bill 1000, 
the Community Development Agency Planning Department and the Healthcare Services Agency Public Health Department partnered to develop a draft EJ element that embraces principles of equity, accountability, collaboration, and diverse resident participation. The EJ element expands upon and will replace the 2015 Ashland Cherryland Community Health and Wellness element, which was adopted by the Board of Supervisors as an optional element of the general plan uh, back in 2015. Next slide. The EJ element focuses on what we call the priority communities of Ashland, Cherryland, Hayward Acres, and parts of San Lorenzo and Castro Valley. Um, and these priority communities that are shown on this slide um, meet the definition of de disadvantaged consistent with Senate Bill 1000 and the screening, screening guidance that was published by the Governor's Office of Planning and Research. Following an extensive community engagement process that began in 2021, staff prepared the draft EJ element and released it for public comment in May of 2023. In response to comments that we received on the original draft, um, staff released a revised draft in November of 2023, um, and we're here this evening to present a second revised draft. The EJ Element draft reviews existing conditions in the priority communities related to physical, social, and economic determinants of health, and it outlines goals, policies, and actions that address how land use practices and county programs can support the community's vision for health, social equity, and environmental justice. The vision of the EJ element is for priority community residents to experience improved health and wellness through equitable access to social, economic, environmental, and community benefits. Uh, the purpose of the EJ element is to achieve consistency with Senate Bill 1000 and to ensure that land use policy and decision-making within the priority communities supports healthy and equitable community development. And consistent with the topic areas required by Senate Bill 1000, the objectives of the EJ element are to embed equity and accountability as a central framework for county actions impacting the priority communities, to decrease exposure to pollution and improve air quality, to decrease access to, oh, sorry, increase access to public facilities, increase access to healthy food, increase access to safe and sanitary homes, increase health and physical activity, and increase civic engagement in uh, public decision-making processes. Okay. So um, our environmental review, staff has determined that the EJ element is not subject to the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, because it would not result in a direct or reasonably foreseeable indirect physical change in the environment, because it is exempt from environmental review pursuant to the common sense exemption where it can be seen with certainty that there is no possibility that the activity in question may have a significant effect on the environment. And because it is exempt under the class eight exemption for actions taken by regulatory agencies to ensure the maintenance, restoration, enhancement, or protection of the environment. And just a note on this, the EJ element is a community-wide plan focused on improving environmental conditions in the priority communities. It outlines a high-level vision for community health and wellness, um, and it does not propose site-specific development activities. Any site-specific activities that would be implemented in the future uh, would require their own environmental analyses. Next slide, please. All right, so let's dive into the second revised public draft. Um, staff uh, conducted work sessions with, uh, with your council and with the Eden Area Map both in November of 2023 um, and the Planning Commission in December of 2023 to discuss the, re uh, the initial revised draft EJ element. 
We made changes to that revised draft based on these comments. Um, and a second revised draft with track changes um, is included in your packet and on the back table as attachment A. Um, and a list of comments from these work sessions with staff responses and proposed edits uh, is included as attachment B. So I'm going to um, go over some of the key changes that we've made um, in that draft that is dated January of 2024. So we heard some confusion about the definition of, uh, of urban tree canopy um, and confusion about what uh, percent tree canopy means um, and what current urban tree canopy rates are in the priority communities. Um, so on the pages that I've indicated here, um, we changed the definition of urban tree canopy to clarify it a bit. So we've changed it to um, the area of a community that is covered by trees crowns as viewed from above. Um, and, and then we add a note here that urban tree canopy is measured as a percentage of the total land area. Um, so a goal of a 20% urban tree, a 20% urban tree canopy aims to have at least 20% of the total land area covered by tree canopy. Um, and existing urban tree canopy rates in the priority communities are discussed um, in table 3-9 uh, on page 3-19 of the draft. Next slide, please. Um, so we heard some disappointment that wildlife was uh, was never mentioned specifically in the draft. Um, so on page 3-16, the natural environment section, um, we edited uh, that to include uh, urban wildlife in several sections. Next slide, please. Um, we heard concerns about language describing the presence of law enforcement as potentially oppressive to some communities. Um, and so on page 3-27, um, there's a subsection called proximity to law enforcement stations. We edited that, edited that to read, um, while the presence of law enforcement may increase feelings of safety for some community members, it is important to note that other community members, particularly BIPOC residents um, and members of historically marginalized, marginalized communities may experience distrust of law enforcement. And just added a note here that that original language in this section uh, was vetted by the sheriff's office. Slide please. So we heard a suggestion to add a timeline um, establishing a baseline for reporting out uh, EJ element implementation uh, progress um, and you know no, no less than X number of years from date of adoption. So we edited our policy about EJ element reporting to add that beginning in 2025, uh, the technical advisory committee, which will be the, the group that's gonna be engaged in um, implementing a group of county staff engaged in implementing the EJ element will provide annual reports to the Board on Incorporated Service, Services Committee and the Planning Commission regarding the progress of the EJ element implementation. Next slide, please. So we heard um, a recommendation to translate at minimum a summary of the EJ element um, into other commonly spoken languages in, in addition to Spanish uh, to enable bilingual organizers to use the materials in their outreach. Um, so we edited the policy uh, where we commit to adopting as or to editing the final, um, translating the final adopted EJ element into Spanish to include also at minimum providing um, translated summaries of the EJ element in other commonly spoken languages. Next slide, please. So we heard a request. Oh, do you have a question? Sorry, question? Am I hearing at the end of you saying questions or were we holding our questions to the end or the end? Yes. No, no, you're welcome. If you'd like to, yeah, if you would like to ask questions as you go, please. 
Okay, I was just wondering because you're moving through that question area pretty quick. I'm uh, yeah, I'm happy to to move more slowly. Them down and write them down as quick as I yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. Which and if you'd like at any point to to just have this be a discussion rather than me talking and then you know questions at the end, I'm happy to um, to do that. that Mr. Chair, how do you want to you want to wait till the end? Um, Chuck, if you have something, ask it now, please. Let's let's make this interactive. Um, well, um. I have a whole bunch of them, but I, I think I wait to the end and just go through them, um, if that's okay. You know, is that okay with you? That's fine. Okay. And if anything does come up as you know, as I'm talking, you need to you know ask for clarification. I'm happy to not to pause, um, and I will go a little bit more slowly since we're the only thing on the agenda today. So let's see, um, we heard a request to add reporting requirements to action 2.1B, um, which is the, uh, the action that looks at um, exploring tree protections on private property. Um, and uh, the commenters wanted to ensure that the community would have the opportunity to give input um, publicly on, on um, the findings of that, uh, that project. Um, so we added uh, that that as part of that um, implementing that action, uh, we would present findings to the board on incorporated services committee publicly. That one there, I'll jump in on sure. relatively quick because I'd, I'd like some clarity. Uh, when you talk about um, protections on private property, um, how is that? How do you envision something like that? Um, or I mean, I understand like large oak trees and things like that have always been somewhat protected. Um, you know, I, 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 I just look through this, I'm wondering about how do you enforce something like this? And how do you see it? Is this uh, codes to come down at a later date? Or is this an idea right now? I mean, I can't imagine somebody owning a piece of property and the neighbors saying to them, hey, your tree's going to fall over and take out my fence or fall over and take out my roof. And you say, well, private property, um, it, it, you know what I mean? I mean, especially with the bad weather we've had, we've seen a lot of problems, you know? And I, I'm kind of confused. Why would we take this on? I mean, it is private property. And there's so many other opportunities to plant more trees rather than to take someone's private property rights. And I keep going back to, if we really believe in this tree deal, we would work with the farmers out in the uh, Livermore Valley of, out there and plant some olive trees, thousands of them, hundreds of them. You know, we really believe this. Well, we, but we keep talking about shades and shelters and, and covers and stuff like that. But we really, we have an opportunity. To, and we said this before, I said this, is that we could create you know, olive farms that would create jobs, create a product, and it would address the food issues and it would address a lot of different things that are on here. But we, we just seem to be keep, keep focusing on the urban area and really not addressing what Castro Valley has, an incredibly large acreage of open space and farmland that is underutilized. And the same, particularly in the Livermore area. I just anyway, that's that's I, enough on that page. Can I? I want to I want to piggyback on that really quick. Um, so I'm just curious. 
So the rights to the trees, the canopy and all this stuff, let's just say it's, you know, down there in Ashland, there's a, a property where, you know, we're housing deficient or all of these things. And the property just so happens that it has a larger group of trees in this canopy. Who, who's got more rights? Are you going to allow the development or the improvement of a neighborhood or is the canopy win? And I mean, I think I'm kind of right there with Chuck. I guess the question is, is how are you, how does this get decided? And, um, you know, what, what kind of order is going to be going into this? It's going to make it a little bit more complicated. Um, I mean, I don't know where every day we're listening to the injustice of no housing and all of this stuff. And yet, you know, some of the trees are going to propose it a problem. And again, it, it is on private property. So you're not even really, you know, you add one more layer to a, a homeowner or something to do something. It's already tough enough. How do you, how do you deal with it? Is there a plan for that? Or anyway, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to this. I'm just, it's just an open-ended question. That's all. And, and the real challenge is trying to get code enforcement out on the weekend to talk to the fairy about cutting the tree down. That's the real challenge. Amen. Uh, I'd be happy to respond if, if the chair. Please. Okay, so um, so to the the question about um, the focus on the the urban areas versus the rural areas or versus unincorporated or the unincorporated areas overall. Um, this document in particular by state law is focusing on the what we're calling the priority communities as defined by Senate Bill 1000. Um, so it that does limit us to focusing on the the urban unincorporated areas for this document, but um, we're also concurrently working on an update to the community climate action plan. And we'll be back here in February, March, very soon um, to discuss that plan. And we have we do have tree related, tree planting related um, programs and policies in that document um, that can apply countywide. So um, that might be something that that we'd want to bring up again um, during the, the CCAP discussion, uh, which will be happening soon. Uh, I, I just see Castro Valley is unique in the sense that um, you take a lot of the unincorporated areas. They don't have the ranches and farms and things that Castro Valley happens to have. And uh, I take offense to the fact that the priority is the urban area. To me, the priority is the entire Castro Valley area. And uh, so I, I don't like the idea of segregating one and saying that, no, you're more important than this other part. We certainly when in 2002, we went out and we passed Measure D to protect the farmlands from urban growth. And now all of a sudden, you know, you, you forget about them after you put those controls in play. So I, I just think that, um, uh, I, I, I don't think this is really a fair document in some region so far. And, and if I can just interpret or try, um, you know, Council Member Moore's concerns are justified, I think, and uh, righteous in, in their own right. But if I understand correctly, it's the state of California that has set the impact areas um, and the impact areas for this plan in Casco Valley are the southwest corners, which, yes. you know, diagonally opposite the northeast where the agricultural areas are. That that's that's correct. Yes. And the, the term priority communities is um, in this case synonymous with yeah. disadvantaged communities, which is the the SB one, the Senate Bill 1000 right. definition that we're required to follow. 
And, so and we so can once address... again, my issues with the state and not with the local. <laughs> well, and and we can I think we can deal with it with the the, the climate action plan when it comes to that. There's definitely a lot of policy in the climate action plan related yeah. to trees, and that is county as a countywide document. Uh, so we'll have a lot of additional opportunity to discuss. Um, and then uh, just to the questions about what exactly a tree ordinance or private property tree protection would entail. Um, I've done some research into it. There are so many different ways that, that uh, local jurisdictions choose based on their specific circumstances to protect trees on private property at this point. Um, there are no no private property tree protections at all. So not even those those ancient oaks are protected currently in uh, unincorporated Alameda, Alameda County. Um, so we we included in that policy a list of different types of tree protections that do exist. So um, some are tree protection ordinances of the type that you're probably imagining. Um, some are heritage tree ordinances or um, protected or native tree designations. Um, such that, for example, community members could could uh, nominate a tree to be part of a, a heritage tree program, um, rather than it being punitive, it's um, celebrated. Uh, and then there are tree stewardship incentives. So there are lots of different ways that a community could um, approach this issue. Um, and, and keeping in mind, um, like you said, preserving private property rights can all be part of that discussion. So this isn't mandating any specific type of tree protections. It's just looking at um, getting the community together to talk about what we can do um, and what the community would like to see, um, how it would like to see its trees protected uh, on private property, if at all. And it could come, it could be that, that you know, through the discussion, we learned that there's that there's not enough interest in this. Um, but through our process so far, this came up a lot. So um, we wanted to make sure that it was reflected in the document um, and that it gets further discussion. I understand that. I'm looking for your two on this. I am. We're talking about the environment and things like that. A lot of the urban area is more like a concrete jungle. Where is the non-permeable surfaces? You know, is it in here somewhere? Um, where we could replenish groundwaters and things like that? So I'm sorry, where are the, the, the permeable surfaces? Well, I mean, where would we have where um, parking lots would be a, a permeable surface for water versus a non-permeable surface? I mean, if you look at the urban areas, a lot of it is it, like a doggone concrete jungle. I mean, it's, it's asphalt and concrete. And so, I mean, wouldn't that, if we're looking at trees and things like that, wouldn't we look at the entire uh, element? You, the entirety of the county, absolutely, yes. And we and we can and we will as part of the community climate action plan. Um, one of the interesting things to look at in, you know, in the data that we collected is that, um, like you said, you know, we're the urban unincorporated areas are um, largely concrete. They're largely built out, right? Streets and, and sidewalks and buildings. Um, there's this that the one census tract that's included um, in the the disadvantaged priority communities uh, in San Lorenzo, um, by contrast to all of the others, has about a 19% tree canopy cover rate. Um, so it has one of the highest tree canopy cover rates in all of uh, of unincorporated Alameda County, which is really interesting to note because Hayward Acres, the census tract just nearby has a 9% tree canopy cover rate, but very similar development patterns. So it's showing that even in that urban development pattern, we have room uh, 
to add more trees to have more tree canopy um, if we if we're able to you know to invest and and care for those trees. Um, so then on this page as well, um, we heard some update or some interest in adding information specifically um, to some of our policies around uh, the public works agency's tree list, um, adding native trees and shrubs to that. So we added um, special consideration for native trees to that policy. Next slide, please. Um, so we, oops. We heard a request to add more active language um, to the county's role in policy EJ 3.6 and the associated action regarding the creation of parks. Um, so we added language to that policy and um, to that action around actively participating in creation of pocket parks and other small green spaces um, and supporting and collaborating in the development um, of a comprehensive system of parks, plazas uh, and other green spaces. Next slide, please. So we heard a request um, to reference or otherwise include mention of the recent Baker Tilly Development Services Process Review Report in the EJ element. Uh, I think it's one previous. There we go. Um, and I, I'm curious, do you know if you had the Development Services Review? Was that presented to the MACs as well? Okay. Um, do you, okay, it wasn't. Um, so, uh, so we, we added a policy um, to uh, pursue customer service oriented improvements to the county's permitting code enforcement and public maintenance request processes and a new action that the county will implement the recommendations of the July 2023 Alameda County Development Services Process Review Report, which talks about um, how we, uh, we intake um, uh, project review, intake and review projects uh, in the building department, the planning department, fire department, environmental health, et cetera. Uh, so to make that a better process for everyone. Next slide, please. We heard a request um, to add an action regarding working with Union Pacific Railroad for code enforcement violations along the railroad tracks. Um, so we added a policy that reads, CDA code enforcement will establish reporting contacts with Union Pacific Railroad to support abatement of healthy um, health and safety issues along the railroad property. Um, so this is code enforcement related issues on this page. Um, we heard a, an issue that code in, uh, online code enforcement portals already exist um, and that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, and we heard a request to change uh, the language of the policy to commit to using an existing platform. Um, and so we did make that change. Uh, and we heard, as we've already heard again tonight, uh, interest in code enforcement providing weekend and evening service. So we added a policy that reads CDA code enforcement will develop protocols to address code enforcement violations occurring on weekends and evenings. Next slide, please. We heard a request to edit action 3.5B, which talks about evaluating urban agriculture ordinances to include updating and modernizing uh, what currently exists. So we um, added such language um, as reflected here in this slide. Next please. Can you expand on that a little bit? I, uh, I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about there. Sure, sure. So um, the, the current policy reads, uh, the CDA planning department and the sheriff's office animal services, um, I guess department, um, will collaborate to review and modernize existing ordinances and regulations related to urban agriculture and animal husbandry 
consider best policy practices and explore opportunities for coordination, clarification, and improvements that remove barriers to urban agriculture in the priority communities. So as it stands now, um, urban agriculture policy is contained, for example, um, in the zoning ordinance under uh, each zoning designation. So, you know, R1, you're allowed to have uh, orchards and row crops and and that's allowed throughout uh, different residential zoning. I think almost almost all of them. Um, but it uh, animals and animal husbandry um, are regulated by the sheriff's office, um, animal services team. I'm not sure if they're a team or a department. Um, and there's no holistic urban agriculture um, policy or um, ordinance in in uh, unincorporated Alameda County. Those do exist in other jurisdictions. Um, Berkeley is a good example where if you want to do an urban, you want to you want to be an urban farmer, you want to know what you're allowed to do. Um, you go and look at the urban agriculture ordinance. Um, so this is what this policy is suggesting is that the planning department and animal services sheriff's office get together. We talk about the policies as they currently exist um, and see if, if there's an opportunity for us to modernize them um, and to make them more holistic and easier for people to navigate. So does that mean that if someone wanted to have chickens in their backyard in an urban area, um, there would be a policy on that now? There is a policy on that now, but oh. it would maybe it would be an opportunity for us to discuss um, whether we whether the county and um, you know and residents wanted to have that policy all in one place, um, all in one ordinance, rather than some of it living with the sheriff's office, some of it living with the planning department. I, I'm just trying to figure out where um, why this is here. Um, I mean, you use words like modernization. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what the hell does that mean? Uh, yeah, consider best practices. I mean, it, it, that whole page is just, to me, is gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything. There's nothing, there's no There's no outline, there's no guidelines. It's just, oh, we're going to look at it. I mean, I, I, it, it doesn't mean nothing. Uh, there's no time frame. There's no. There's no. There's no problems listed that you would address. I can see. Um, I, I don't see a reason for modernization of current. And what are the problems needing modernization? I mean, uh, is is do we have code enforcement giving us a bunch of complaints that we are that we're not seeing or? We do um, throughout the EJ process. We heard from um, you know throughout the the, the year plus of of uh, community outreach. We heard a lot from community members, especially urban farmers, about the difficulty of navigating the county's urban agriculture policies, um, especially around you know urban uh, bee like beekeeping, chicken keeping, um, livestock keeping, um, and and folks pointed to some of these more holistic. Uh, ordinances that exist in other jurisdictions. That's, you know, the sort of modernization that we're aiming at is that uh, in the last 10, five to 10 years, uh, a lot more jurisdictions have been adopting policies to specifically discuss urban agriculture um, and to promote urban agriculture and to help facilitate urban agriculture where our policies do allow for some of that, but um, in a way that's uh, a little bit um, labyrinthine yeah. or... Folks I, to navigate. I hear something like, geez, um, 
we bought a piece of property and uh, the airport's there. Now we build a whole bunch of houses around it. We want the airport to go away. Um, this sounds like to me that there's a good chance that some person may have a, an acre of property in an urban area and may have some chickens or some uh, uh, something on it that, that that's a crop or whatever. And all of a sudden the area grows and everybody goes up. Oh, we want this guy out of here. Um, we're going to develop some policies to make that go away. Um, I mean, that's the concern I would have is that um, there, there has to be some history in, in considering what people have been doing in the area because we have come in and allow a lot split and have four houses built next to someone that doesn't. Um, I don't want the four houses because they outnumber the guy now to take away his rights to what he has been doing for 20 years. And this this would be an opportunity, the the process, you know, this would, would require further process. So adoption of the EJ element doesn't mean that this all of a sudden exists, right? It would take further process, further community process, um, and it would really be an opportunity uh, to, to potentially, you know, if this is what's of interest to the community, to enshrine some of those rights of urban farmers um, in policy to say you are as an urban farmer, you know, uh, I don't know, you have 3000 square feet of a lot or more, just for example, um, you are allowed to have three chickens. You were allowed to have this, this, and this period by right. You're allowed to have those things. That is something that, that this um, process and a policy adopted as part of this process could establish. Okay, uh, so I'll move on to the next slide. So um, uh, one of our policies looked at uh, an, uh, a report, um, an annual health status report um, that the healthcare services agency uh, would give. Um, and there was interest in um, a timeline for that. So when, beginning when. Um, so uh, we added at least every three years beginning in 2025. Slide, please. Do we have any idea? I'm sorry, Alex. Do we have any idea what a highlight on unincorporated Alameda County looks like? Um, it so it speaks to one of the earlier policies of one of the policies that's been in the EJ element all along, which uh, talks about disaggregating um, unincorporated area data as much as possible. So rather than lumping unincorporated area data in with Leandro or Hayward, which a lot of our zip codes do, um, there are ways to disaggregate this data and it's a, it's a, uh, a priority for the healthcare services agency to do that. Um, it's a priority, you know, in the EJ element as well. Um, right. So it would be based on, I'm not, I don't know specifically what it would look like, but it would mean that the data that are being pulled for the city um, would be, you know, the same data that 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 the un unincorporated areas would have their own data pulled. Um, yeah. Thank you. Sure. All right. So um, there was a suggestion uh, in our policy around um, the Office of Unincorporated Services um, to talk about uh, when established rather than if established. Um, so just a note that um, the establishment of this office, of course, would be determined by the county administrator's office and the board of supervisors. So we can't um, we can't say when established in this document, but we did take out if established uh, to be a little bit more positive about it. Next slide. 
Um, so we heard a need for mechanisms to improve the way that MAC discussions um, and decisions are conveyed to the Planning Commission um, to ensure that the Planning Commission hears uh, MAC and community voices. So we added a, uh, a new action that reads, the county will establish a process for conveying the proceedings of the Municipal Advisory Council meetings, including decisions, discussion, and public comments to the Planning Commission to ensure that the Planning Commission has the full benefit of community input while weighing recommendations to the Board of Supervisors. That might result in fewer reversals, huh? It might. <laughs> All right, so next, oh wait, sorry. Um, and then we heard a request to broaden the language um, of our action uh, around county agencies and departments setting a practice uh, of seeking input from MAX. Um, and it, it initially just said for, um, for projects that implement, uh, sorry, that impact the unincorporated communities, but we expanded that um, to say that the county would consider requiring county agencies and departments to set a practice of seeking input from the relevant MACs for projects, policies, and other efforts with potential to impact the county's urban, or sorry, the county's unincorporated communities. Next slide. So um, we heard a need to clarify how we will support the construction of high visibility sidewalks, et cetera, that are discussed in policy EJ 3.5. Um, and we heard a need for a dialogue with the Public Works Agency to implement um, Americans with Disabilities uh, Act tools like audible, um, audible pedestrian signals, detectable warnings, and the cons uh, consideration of barriers such as furniture or vegetation that might block rights of way um, along with more typical solutions like curb cuts. So um, we, we uh, retooled a couple of policies here. So we have um, new text of policy EJ 3.5 Five, which reads, um, create and maintain a safe, comfortable, and continuous pedestrian network that provides access to all users, particularly dis disabled users, seniors, and children, by closing sidewalk gaps, improving pedestrian crosswalks at intersections, and implementing traffic calming and streetscape improvements. And then um, we edited, uh, sorry, replaced Action 3.5H with a new action that reads, consistent with the Bicycle and Pedestrian Master Plan, the Public Works Agency will incorporate universal design into the design process and achieve full ADA public right-of-way compliance. Universal design focuses on designing environments and buildings to be accessible to people of all ages and abilities. Uh, we heard a request for stronger language throughout the document. Um, we heard this from, from your council as well as from others, um, especially where the county has direct authority um, for example, avoiding language like encourage when we could use something stronger. So we did make edits throughout, um, and just a couple of the, uh, the examples are here. Um, so public works agency will synchronize traffic signals around schools and parks to ensure traffic flow and safety. The county will expand the geography of the lead poisoning prevention, JPA. The C uh, Community Development Agency will increase use of digital engagement tools, and the county will increase MAC and community engagement in the capital improvement and budgeting process. So um, related to, I think, something um, that Councilmember Moore mentioned um, earlier, we heard a request to add a hazardous tree ordinance to the EJ element. Um, and as a safety issue that's related to environmental hazards, um, this is best addressed in uh, as a new policy that would be countywide in the safety element, uh, which we're also currently updating. 
So we've, uh, we're adding this policy to the safety element. It reads, the county shall adopt a hazardous tree ordinance that provides remediation pathways to address trees that pose hazards to human safety and the well-being of neighboring properties. And um, then we heard a request to consider conversations with transit partners um, to get hydrogen buses in neighborhoods uh, that have the poorest air quality. And this fits really well with the climate action plan. So uh, we are adding a policy that says explore and support innovative public tra transit options, such as deploying low emissions buses in neighborhoods with disproportionately poor air quality. Um, and this is in the climate action plan. So um, those are just some of the changes that we've made. I know it's a lot. I went through them pretty quickly. Um, and I also wanted to, so, you know, we can talk about those more, of course, this evening, but um, I also wanted to go through some of the, the comments that we heard from you um, and, and give you some responses to, to those comments uh, that I may not have been able to give last time. So uh, we heard questions last time about how, um, how will the EJ element be uh, implementation be funded? Uh, will this document be used against county agencies and departments? Will non-county actors be given authority to implement actions in the EJ element, taking those actions out of county control? Um, so our note here is that the EJ element is a long range uh, eight to 10 year policy document. Um, and it's outside of the scope of the EJ element or of any gen general plan element to provide a detailed implementation budget or to identify funding sources for all proposed measures. Um, so as we describe in chapter five, um, beginning on page five two, the EJ element um, implementation is going to require ongoing collaboration between county actors and external partners, residents um, and others. And it's going to depend on factors like staff capacity, available funding, community priorities and political support. Um, and the measures that are in the EJ element reflect deep and ongoing engagement uh, with residents and uh, county service providers. The EJ element does not um, identify any non-county entities as leads in measure implementation, though non-county entities um, such as AC Transit would be a, a good example, may be identified as potential implementation partners alongside county agencies. When the Board of Supervisors adopts the final approved EJ element, it will be affirming its commitment uh, and the commitment of the county and its agencies and departments to work uh, cooperatively toward the vision outlined in the document. The approved EJ element will act as a guide to county agencies um, as they develop budgets and work plans. Um, and to ensure ongoing collaboration and accountability, as I mentioned, um, the planning department will continue to engage county agencies in the implementation phase uh, through an EJ implementation technical advisory committee. Allie, before yeah. you, I'm sorry, before you leave this, this slide, um, the EJ element is a long range eight to 10 year policy document. Does it, because this is state mandated and it's being submitted, I understand as part of the housing element, does this need to be re renewed, reviewed, redone um, concurrent with new housing elements? As far as I know, there is no, rep yeah, there's no requirement um, for a specific timeline. Um, uh, I, I was just gonna clarify that the, the EJ element is not, is not required by state law to be, um, updated on the same cycle as the housing element. The safety element, on the other hand, is. So the, the um, state law does require we do the safety element on the same cycle as the housing, but that that's the only one. Thank you, Liz. Allison, I have a question for you as well. Sure. 
Oh, I'll ask real fast. Um, the EJ Implementation Technical Advisory Committee, can you speak a little bit more to that? Where do they sit? What authority do, do they have? Is it, how's it looked after? Yeah, so um, that will be the responsibility of the planning department. It will be the conveners. Um, and a, a lot of the, the folks who will end up being members of this TAP have already been engaged in the development of the EJ element over the last several years. So these would be uh, this would be a county technical advisory committee, so it would be made up of county staff uh, from a variety of agencies, um, to name a few, healthcare services, the sheriff's office, general services agency, um, uh, yeah, many others. So social services um, would all be involved in implementation. Um, we have so far heard that Supervisor Miley is interested in uh, attending those meetings to help encourage participation, um, which I think will be exciting. Um, and uh, the group will, we're still determining the timeline on which this group would meet, but it essentially will be convening at regular intervals uh, to review our progress um, on our various measures, because, you know, as you know, the EJ element contains measures that um, that each agency might need to, to implement separately or in collaboration with one another. So to collaborate, to look for funding, um, and then really importantly to help um, determine how we will continue to engage community going forward. So this is not going to just sit within this, this county group um, behind a wall where community can't see it. Um, there will be ongoing uh, and deep community engagement throughout the engagement or throughout the implementation process. Uh, but part of this tax role is going to be to figure out how um, how that happens. What's the best way for that to happen? Thanks. So it sounds like they're advisory and facilitators. Yes. They're not, they don't have no. directorial responsibility. For yeah, but they would be yeah. they would be communicating um, EJ element, you know, priorities and communicating uh, what we talked about in those meetings back to their agencies. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. When you brought the housing element, just a quick question about that. Um, if this is not required to be part of the housing element, why are we so far behind on the housing element being submitted and cost us a bloody fortune in uh, transportation fees and roads and things like that? I think it was like $55 million I saw somewhere. Well, that, that's uh, another topic, but, but I can just quickly say that the, the the housing element um it, part of the the reason we're uh so far behind on the housing element is that um we had a, a loss of significant number of staff members um and with these other projects um underway um we we haven't had the resources to devote to the housing element that i otherwise would have wanted to. Um, we also got uh, limited assistance from our uh, consultant given the every jurisdiction in the Bay Area is doing the, their housing element at the same time, so they have limited capacity as well. Yeah, Liz, it may understand that the state is withholding um, some transportation road money and stuff like that, like something like 50 or $55 million that we could desperately use because we didn't get our housing element in or don't have it in. And if that's the case, why would we spend the time and money doing this if it wasn't part of the housing element? 
when we needed that $55 million. Concerns me. Well, the, the housing element is on the agenda, so I don't want to go too far afield talking about that. Okay. There is there are some funding implications with being late that we're we're working on resolving now. Okay. Well, I just know our roads are getting pretty rough. Anything um one thing that I can add is that um part of what triggers the county mm -hmm. um or any local jurisdiction to need figure to it out. Can you help me? I don't know if I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. I think I am. Uh, so part of what triggers a local jurisdiction to need to to need to uh, look at the need to do a, an EJ element um, is whether they're updating two or more general plan elements at once. So so um, working on the housing element triggers the safety element, and that becomes two general plan updates, which triggers the need for us to um, to do the EJ element too. Um, so they're all they're all sort of triggered concurrently. Thank you. Um, so next we heard, uh, one more, Perfect. Um, that many of the issues identified in the EJ element aren't subject to local control. So examples, freeways, transit, um, and uh, questions about how the EJ element addresses issues that are outside of the county's direct control. Um, and non-county agencies such as the school districts, park districts, and sanitary districts are really important um, parts of the health and wellness landscape here in unincorporated Alameda County. Uh, so while the Board of Supervisors does not have direct control over outside agencies, the county does have an opportunity to partner, coordinate, and influence the activities of these agencies on behalf of the unincorporated area and their residents. Uh, so where the county doesn't have direct control, um, the EJ element identifies non-county agencies as potential implementation partners, not as the direct implementer, and it names the county agency that would lead coordination uh, with that external partner. I just have a quick question. What if the other side don't don't want to partner? I, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we yeah when we get to it. Okay. Um, and we will. Yeah, I think I think each case is going to be different. Um, I mean we we're already working with some of these partners, and as we know, some some others are a little harder to get to the table. See, you want to accomplish something, you know, as a county agency, you got to work together with other agencies, and if they want to if they want to play with us, you know. I don't know how he pours the hand to get things done. See, thank yeah. you. I just wanted to add that. Allison yes. <laughs> has another question. Too. Sure. Um, uh, Caltrans, AC Transit, school districts, et cetera, there's probably a long list of others. Are they, um, if they're not beholden to county environmental justice elements and other elements within this, uh, are they, um, under the jurisdiction of state environmental justice requirements, or are there, are, I guess, what would drive them into a collaborative state that's aligned to what's in this document? So I don't, I don't know for like each potential partner, um, what, what EJ requirements might exist for them. They're not the same, right? Like the special districts aren't going to have general plans. They aren't going to have well, they're not going to have EJ elements required, right? So they might have their own environmental justice requirements um, coming from the state. I don't know specifically what those are. Um, I don't know, Liz, do you have a, we we have, fortunately, we have had a lot of these partners in the room as part of the EJ 
element development process to like from the beginning. So um, that Ashland Cherryland Healthy Communities Collaborative that I don't think I mentioned here, but that I did mention last time um, is a group of, um, of county agencies, county staff, um, external partners. So we have folks from the school districts, AC Transit's been in the room there. Um, uh, and a number of, of external partners, the Alameda County Office of Education, which is not a county agency, they've been in the room. Um, and that group came together, I think they've been getting together for more than 15 years um, to talk about provision of service in specifically Ashland and Cherryland, but they've expanded to include really all of these uh, EJ element priority communities. So we already do have some, um, we have some really good uh, groundwork laid for that kind of partnership. Um, and I think we definitely have opportunities to, to increase that with other other agencies where we haven't had as much luck. Um, and I think that might take political interests, um, you know, political, uh, not to say pressure, but um, support. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Um, just a, I'm sorry, just, were you asking about motivation? What, what, what the motivation is behind or for each of these potential partners? Is that where you were going? Yeah. Incentive. Yeah. So I, I, I think in the last time you two were here, uh, it came up that many of the systems that these organizations hold responsibility for have profound impact on the communities that are in question here. Far more profound, arguably, than um, many of the um, policies that are being described in here day to day and engaging them in improving those circumstances actually feels it's not even optional it's it's sort of as a matter of course and so if perhaps um, commissioner thomas's comments about what would inspire them to come to the table is part of this is just what what would actually make these organizations aligned to the the intent of what's in this document. That I think that was what I was asking about. And I, I think that is going to be something that we're we're going to navigate as we go. Um, I mean, I, I think another thing I can add is that um, while special districts may not have environmental justice requirements, uh, may or may not, I don't know. Um, other local jurisdictions do so. The city of Oakland, city of Hayward, um, city of San Leandro, and others, those three for sure, but other um, jurisdictions within the county and across the Bay Area are adopting environmental justice policies. So I think this is going to begin, if it's not already, you know, to be something that um, special districts across those jurisdictional boundaries are going to be hearing um, from, the, you know, from the jurisdictions, the other jurisdictions that they work in. Um, so while I, I guess I can't speak to it specifically unless Liz has a. Mm. That's true, yes, so definitely, yeah. So, so Liz is pointing out some really great partnerships that, that we already have with, for, for example, BACMED, the Air District, um, the Hayward Area Recreation and Parks District, the school districts, lots of engagement um, and uh, deep interest in environmental justice from those partners um so i think i mean we might not all be there but we're, we're moving in that direction allie i 
appreciated if there's an opportunity to add so the list of non-county agencies, um, East Bay Mud and PG&E. Yes, I will make sure that they're in there. Um, I believe they're definitely mentioned in the Community Climate Action Plan and Safety Element, but we'll make sure they're in this one too. Um, so next slide, please. So um, we heard some questions um, about air quality along 238 and how it's it's really not probably that much different from air quality along uh, Interstate 680 in Alamo. Um, and questions about why we wouldn't hear about air quality issues from communities um, like Alamo. So um, Cal Enviroscreen 4.0 is a tool, um, an online mapping tool that uses environmental, health, and socioeconomic information to produce scores for every census tract, uh, tract in the state. Um, an area with a high score uh, is an area that experiences a much higher pollution burden um, than areas with low scores. Uh, the priority community census tracts, those uh, disadvantaged uh, community census tracts in unincorporated Alameda County, have an, an average Cal Enviroscreen 4.0 percentile score of 59, um, with individual census tracts ranging from about 36 to 70. Um, and we have all that information in page 2-4 of the EJ element. Um, while in contrast, some Alamo census tracts do have diesel particulate matter um, scores that are similar to unincorporated Alameda County, um, the contrast is that overall that Cal Enviroscreen 4.0 vulnerability score um, is among the lowest in the state uh, for Alamo. It ranges from about zero to six. Um, and what that indicates is that residents of Alamo, while they may have, they may experience similar um, diesel particulate matter scores, for example, they're much less vulnerable um, to the effects of freeway pollution than uh, um, the urban unincorporated communities that are the focus of this project. Well, I, you know what, um, I, I'd like to, <laughs> I, I question when that was done. Um, and I'll tell you that um, if you drive down Highway 680, 680 now is uh, four lanes on each side, is now an eight lane highway. Um, if you were passing El Pintado, that house there on the corner, I built that in 1989. And I can tell you that the noise decibel levels are somewhere around 93, uh, 88 to 93. And I can tell you that um, the impact of big trucks and everything is no different than Highway 30, uh, 238. 238 is a two-lane road on both sides. So I, I, I challenge the, where this information came from. If you looked at Alamo, maybe because it, it, it spreads back into the hills pretty good, um, as a whole, yes. But if you look along the highway there, there's no way in hell you're going to tell me an eight-lane road is um, less particulates with more trucks on it than a four-lane road on the somewhere. I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I just want to make sure. So I I, um, I might have I might have misspoken. Um, so the what the data are showing um, is actually that particulate matter in Alamo versus particulate matter in the urban unincorporated areas are, are similar. So yeah. they're experiencing, like you said, similar levels of pollution. Um, what Cal Enviroscreen is showing, um, it's it's taking factors like income. Um, access to healthcare and other measures, um, access, so uh, language language access, for example, and layering those sort of all on top of each other to look at 
overall vulnerability. Um, so uh, what it's saying that is that although those diesel particulate matters uh, levels are similar, folks in Ashland, Cherryland, Hayward Acres, and those areas of San Lorenzo and Castro Valley are um, more vulnerable to its impacts. Well, I was just worried more about the accuracy of the um, the report or as air quality. Yes, and, and it shows that air quality considerations would be similar yeah. in those areas. Yeah. Um, okay, next slide, please. So this is my last one on, on this and then we can get into the discussion. Um, so there was a question about why there's an action related to the Hayward Executive Airport um, when that airport is not in our jurisdiction and fair question. Um, so in October of 2023, um, the US EPA announced its final determination that emissions of lead from aircraft that operate on leaded fuel um, cause or contribute to air pollution, which may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health and welfare under the Clean Air Act. Um, the Hayward Executive Airport, while it is in the city of Hayward, has an airport influence area, which extends into the Eden area. Um, and that's indicated in figure 3.1, sorry, 3-1 of the county's Hayward Executive Airport land use compatibility plan, um, which I should have linked to her. I apologize that I didn't. Um, pollution generated as a result of activities at that airport um, has potential to impact the unincorporated communities in that influence area. So that's why staff is proposing um, through action EJ2.6C to consult with the Air District and the airport and the city of Hayward um, to review emissions and identify potential mitigation measures. And um, so we made it through that section. We'll talk about next steps. Um, so as I mentioned, um, we will be going around. You are the first stop on um, on our roadshow. We're very excited to be here. Um, we'll be going to the Eden Area Mac in February, Board Unincorporated Services in uh, in February as well. Um, and we're aiming to go to the Planning Commission on, on March 18th. Um, and we uh, we maintain an updated schedule on our website there. Next slide, please. Um, so you just hear some links for anyone listening in um, who wants to find the updated draft um, or join our listserv. Um, and of course, um, you can contact me anytime if you have questions via email um, or phone. Just stop by the office and say hi. And um, and that's it for me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Allie, and thank you, Liz. And at this time, we'll open up to public comment before engaging the discussion with the uh, the council. Uh, do we have anybody online that wishes to speak, Rodrigo? There's nobody online that's uh, raised their virtual hand. If you're in front of a computer and you wish to speak at the bottom of your screen, you can press the raise hand icon and that will let us know you wish to speak. If you are uh, on a telephone and wish to speak, uh, you can uh, press star nine and that will raise your virtual hand. That will let us know you wish to speak. So far, nobody's raised their hand. All right, we have a card for Kelly Abreu. Okay. Um, so if we're going to compare Alamo and Ashland, I've been to both places, and they don't compare. And I'd rather be in Alamo. Um, it's this is all about population resiliency and resources, not just. Uh, just not just physical conditions in the neighborhood. And those people in Alamo 
they have resilience and they have resources. Um, they're not all crowded together like Ashland is. Um, they even know they, they're very conversant in English, actually. Uh, the airport example is its own famous counterexample. An airstrip appeared south of five canyons in Castro Valley. You are the Castro Valley Mac, you should know about this. And a half mile from Stonebrae, the neighbors built their houses there between 1995 and 2008, and they all complained about the noise. And this was uh, before the airstrip was lengthened without a permit. And let's not forget uh, that uh, the, the uh, water supply is constrained. Urban agriculture, just like every other kind of agriculture, uh, and olive trees consume about the same amount of water as vineyards. So that's why we don't have olive trees everywhere, because we don't have enough water to irrigate everything everywhere. It's, you know, it's it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, it, farmers know this, ranchers may not. And then the Paker Tilly report, it cost the county supervisor half a million dollars. I wonder what this EJ element cost. Half a million dollars is a lot of money, a lot of money. Um, the pushback on environmental justice element, this element is just part of a larger anti-regulation, anti-EPA, anti-government trend. The Wall Street Journal published an article a week ago. The headline was, um, the latest dirty word in Amer corporate America, ESG. Uh, many companies no longer want to talk about environmental social governance. There's investor backlash, political pressure, legal threats. Um, it's derided by some libertarians as woke capitalism. And they want to avoid regulatory scrutiny. Um, they want to avoid corporate diversity programs. Um, the companies are more committed to the E, environment, in ESG, and they don't care about the other stuff as much. So that's kind of nice. I, I like that. The new phrases include our people, our national resources, and um, some people want to adopt the phrase, companies want to adopt the phrase responsible business, you know, just scrambling around. The new government in Argentina, by the way, has just wiped out 300, thousands of regulations. They're going all right wing all the way because they think this is all this right, this libert libertarian regulation stuff and price controls, all this stuff, just just, just erase it all. Um, and of course, and they, they, might, they might need to do it. Maybe they went too far. But uh, coming back to uh, Castro Valley, um, this is just part of the bigger, bigger picture. Thanks. Thank you, Kelly. Speakers online. Nobody else has raised their virtual hand to speak. Thank you, Rodrigo. All right, we will close public comment on this item and we'll start the discussion with council and we'll just ask if anybody would like, does anybody want to speak right now? Shannon. Council member Killebrew Park. Thank you. Um, thank you for this document. It has a lot of context. So if I know a lot of work went into it. Um, I have a question as to why climate change and urban adaptation to climate change doesn't appear once in a chapter for environmental justice, especially since marginalized communities and low in, lower income communities suffer the effects of climate change. I don't think, I know that we have a climate action plan, but I do not think that we can have an environmental justice document and not mention climate change once. Um, for example, with the, uh, 
the pollution and air quality, and we talk about our trees and planting trees, not there's no no reference whatsoever to urban heat islands that are created in urban environments. So there's no plan to where are you going to put these tree canopies and how are they going to affect how are they where could they most benefit the community during heat waves for people to have access to green space there's there's really no reference to that whatsoever i don't think that environmental justice can and a document for environmental justice can exist without referencing climate change and it i i understand that we have a climate action plan but I think that the synthesis of policy and issues is what we lack in Alameda County. And I would, I would really like to see those come together more so we can have a more cohesive document that addresses policy. I think that, that I think that that's, that's something that's really important, especially since we're looking at an eight to 10 year document and we're only going to see more effects of climate change and it's been proven time and time again that the marginalized communities are, are affected mostly by this. So I think that if we're going to have a document on environmental justice, there has to be an element, we have to incorporate an element of, of uh, climate change in there. And then my other question was um, the data. And I, I know that composing documents of, of this scope takes time, but I feel like a lot of the data is outdated. And I feel like anything prior to the pandemic um, is almost not irrelevant, but almost. Um, because so many things changed for the for, for all of us everywhere in the around the world, but especially in the unincorporated um, areas, I think that we really need to look at environmental justice post-pandemic and, and how a lot of, of the, of the uh, marginalized communities that we're talking about here, how they have carried the burden of, of the effects of the pandemic and COVID, especially when it comes to public health, access to public space, um, all, of, all of those things that we're addressing in this environmental justice document. So I think that the um, outdated data could, is, is kind of an issue if we're going to ad, ad, adopt a document that is supposed to be in place for eight to 10 years. And then I guess my last question is when we're to kind of um, piggyback on council member Moore's question about resources. And so you, you mentioned that the, um, that we're doing the housing element uh, and addressing safety and then it triggered, so we have to now, who makes the decision as to where to dedicate those resources? If, if we're experiencing fines for not having our housing element updated, but we've dedicated resources to creating a document on data that is grossly out of date, like who is making those decisions as to where to dedicate our public resources? to determine where, you know, what documents we're gonna spend time on and what documents are gonna be updated. So, did you, do you want me to respond? I, I, yeah, I if can? you okay. have an answer to that question, I will try, I'll okay. do my best. Um, 
so as far as the the data, I, I mean, it's you're right. It is um, most of the data were for 2019 uh, because we started the project in essentially 20, 2020, 2021. Like we started right basically as the pandemic was starting. That was when we were scoping this project, um, gathering the data. The public health department uh, did most of the data gathering and analysis for us. And that became the basis. That was basically the first step. Um, we took that data and then we went out to community um, to ground truth it to make sure it made you know sense to folks um, living in communities that were the focus of this project. Um, and so, yeah, over, over the course of several years and uh, an entire pandemic later, um, I think couldn't certainly couldn't have anticipated that we were going to be in that position when we scoped out this project <laughs> back in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, yeah, it's a fair point. Um, and it's something that I that I also think about. And we know that a lot has changed. Um, we don't like. Liz said it's not, uh, there's no mandate for us to update this document um, on any specific timeline. It's not the same as the housing element, um, but we've written in that, that you know, eight to 10 year sort of review period. Um, we did write something into the, the community climate action plan, which I think, you know, we might want to discuss and consider here, um, which was a review of the vulnerability assessment which is a big chunk of, of, of the data that um, inform the development of the Community Climate Action Plan, uh, an update of that document every four years. Um, so, you know, while the hope is that we can move forward with the policies that we've developed um, with the data that we have available, uh, it might make sense for us to find a way to build in a, a review um, of the data at a certain interval before that eight to 10 year period. Um, I don't know if that sort of helps to, because going going yeah. back and redoing every you know all of the data would mean restarting the process, um, and we we uh, frankly I mean our our consultant budget has long since run out, and we're we're just doing this with staff time at this point. Is there a reason why climate urban adaptation to climate change was mm -hmm. left completely out of this document? It doesn't so, make sense to me. Sure. How you can address one without the other? Yeah, so um, we we did make a decision to um, to take most of the climate specific policies and put them in the climate action plan, and some of those policies um, were were allowed, you know, per state law, the EJ element is allowed to either be contained in a single document or to be contained throughout other elements. Um, so that's sort of the approach that we took was to take those policies specific to climate that are EJ policies and put them in, in the climate action plan. Um, but there are there are a, a number of places in um, in this document where we do, like I think most importantly, um, the policies that I would want to, to point out in the EJ element that, that do talk about climate would be uh, policies related to urban greening and nature-based solutions. So policy EJ 2.1, which is on page uh, 4-5. Um, chapter four, four dash five. Um, so that's looking at nature-based solutions um, with goals of improving human health, ecosystem health, and increasing climate resilience. Um, and that's where we include that goal of a minimum of 20% urban tree canopy um, and where we, we include things like the urban green master plan um, and uh, potentially uh, private property tree protections and others. Um, and then there is a policy, you just have to find it, um, that is specifically looking at 
Uh, so we link uh, policy EG 2.6, we link our air pollution and air quality um, reductions goals to those um, that are in the community climate action plan. Um, and then we have an action um, that I think we added this in the first revision um, that any future updates, uh, this, is, this is an action in the EJ element, that any future updates to the county's community climate action plan and safety element um, in any future updates to those documents, the, the planning department will uplift, uplift the needs of the priority community residents through policies and programs that address key concerns uh, identified through ongoing community engagement. So, um, well, there's not a deep dive into climate in this document. Um, we, we are trying to cross-reference the two, um, but I, there may be, I mean, I, I think, especially when we come back to you with the climate action plan in a, in a month or so, um, we might be able to look at opportunities to better cross-reference. And then let me make sure I your other um, question. I think it was- Oh, resources mm -hmm. about- Who's making decisions as to where to dedicate resources mm -hmm. if we're behind on one thing and being fined for it, but we're dedicating resources to something that hasn't been given a, a hard deadline. I, I just wonder who who's making those decisions as to where to dedicate county resources. Yeah, so we, for the, um, at least for this project, mm -hmm. um, the uh, consultant budget and the um, the contracts were done and signed, you know, in 2019 or 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was long before we were at the point we, we are now with, um, with the housing element. And I think, it, you know, it's the, Ultimately, it's the Board of Supervisors who makes those decisions um, and has to weigh them against, you know, competing priorities and, and timelines. Um, do you have anything? Uh, another factor is funding. Um, the, the housing element and a, a portion of the safety element is uh, being covered by the by, uh, grants from the state. Um, so that also the, the timing of the grants um, plays into um, the, the timelines for the projects. Um, and I, I, I know I keep sounding like I'm continually making excuses, but if I could travel back in time three, four years, um, I would do things very differently and I would make sure to ask all my staff when they intend to uh, retire or quit. Um, but I know that that's not a good excuse, but there are just factors that came into play that that have over overwhelmed our processes. So we're we're trying our best to um, get through all of these projects we're working on. Thank you. Who's up next? Councilmember Thomas? Yes, sir. Thank you. And thank you, Allison, for making the correction and listening to us and trying your best to provide us the best document. Um, like my fellow council member Kilroy said, you know, this is pre-COVID thing, right? You know, uh, we have a lot of catch-up to do. One example I'm going to use is uh, AC Transit. You know, they they're looking at the numbers pre-COVID and they're making cuts, right? Uh, they're saying that they're not, you know, like you, like we talked about before, 
we're supposed to be partners. And we made our comments that, you know, the low income families and the marginalized families, they need the they need the bus. So for them to cut services in Castro Valley, two major uh, routes, is not helping us. So uh, we have to partner with other agencies and they have to listen to us and make changes. Otherwise, this is not going to help. Second factor is uh, home insurance. You know, low income families, if they're buying housing, all the major insurance companies have gone from California. They don't want to insure in, in especially in 94552 and fire prone areas. How can we get a state grant or, a, you know, other programs to help those people out? Because if you can't find home insurance and it's as like double to double price right now. So how can we help them? Yeah, I'm just going to leave there. Thank you. Thank you. Is that next? I'll go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a shot. Um, by the way, thank you for the report. It's a, a bit eye-opening for me. I enjoy digging through here and stuff. But you know, I I I read through it and there's there's language in here that um to me it really is bothersome. Uh words like support, increase, review, encourage, improve, benefit. You know, look at these words and you're going, well, what's behind them? Um, I mean, the word increase, increase from what? I mean, you talk about increase um, access to public facilities, uh, increase access to healthy food. What's our baseline? Where are we starting at? And how do we measure success? I, I love having parties and, and, and recognizing success, but how do I know when when some of this has been achieved, um, I, I go through it and um, and it is it is very dated to some extent because um, um, if you look over in the Cherryland area, I think we have a few new retailers over there. Uh, there's a Costco right down the road now. That is, I saw it about three months ago they opened up a new Hispanic market. Um, so I know that the the food area is definitely getting better, um, and I, I just. I, I go through this report and um, I, I just have a hard time saying this was, if I, I could put any name of any community on this and this report would fit because I can't tell you a single community that would not have a goal or a vision that's similar to what this is decrease pollution, improve air quality. Okay. Does that mean that, uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we're all going to be driving electric vehicles? Because that's where I draw the line. You know, um, I, I kind of like my combustion motor. Um, you know, so I am looking through this and, and it, where, where are we going with it? We're, you know, increase healthy food. I don't want the government coming in and regulating. I can't have a, a, a dog on Coca-Cola because it's not healthy for me. Um, you know, so I, 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 I'm I a little concerned when I read this thing. Um, and I, But I do enjoy reading it. And I do appreciate the hard work that people put into it. So don't take me wrong there. I just um, have a hard time... Uh, seeing where this got prioritized over our housing element and uh, as bad as our roads are, um, we're not getting the, the states holding the money back and, uh, and giving us the grant money, that are, the money that we need for our, 
other things in the county because we didn't have our housing element in. So um, I would have put this on the back burner, but that's just me. Thank you, Chuck. Councilmember Carboni? Oh, Prokopov. Councilmember Prokopov. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, and again, thank you both for all the work. Um, I have a really basic question, and apologies for this being so basic, but um, others may be wondering it too. Um, this, the way that I'm thinking about the this material is that it is an expression of intent, right? So it is not law. It is not. It is not regulation driving in any particular way. Is that fair to say? It will be part of the county's general plan. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so it will have the same authority as any other general plan element. Um, however, it it is a long range, in a way, like visionary policy document, and um, many of the actions in the document will require further action, further public process um, to be implemented. And to points that have been made by other um, council members here, the specificity of those choices and the moves that are suggested by this will need to get determined, right? Yes. So when you say increase from what to what, what's our baseline, what's good, what's acceptable, that kind of thing. Yes, much of that will be determined um, it, as part of the implementation process. Okay. So this is, it is really a statement of intent. It's a vision for the kind of uh, environment that we want to create, particularly for the most uh, marginalized folks in our, in our broader community. Very well put. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to say that out loud because that, that, <laughs> um, uh, I think when we step into it as, um, direct, directly connected to regulation, it starts to feel very thin, but when you describe it as a vision piece and as an aspirational definition or set of definitions across a whole variety of topics, it feels different to me. Thank you, Ilya. Okay. Council Member Carboni, please. Thank you uh, for the presentation. Um, so I'm not going to repeat anything that other um, council members have said. I, I concur with them all. Shannon was very clear about a number of um, items there that I, I, I double concur on that one. Um, however, the things that um, I I think you need, I just need some clarification because when we started this, I thought um, that the numbers in all of our areas didn't even qualify for this document. And somehow we look for the worst case scenario within our area. And that's how we got to where we got to today. Is that true? Um, so I can clarify the screening process. It's a multi-step screening process. Um, what the what SB 1000 calls for us to look at uh, are what it calls disadvantaged communities. And that's not disadvantaged communities just in the sense of what um, uh, a Calenviro screen calls them. So it's it looks at that Calenviro screen definition of de disadvantaged first, and that's in that top 25% um, of that Calenviro screen score that I talked about earlier. And in that scoring system, we do not have any census tracts that meet that definition. 
However, we do have census tracts, um, 16 of them that meet the definition of low income. Um, and there's two different definitions of, of specifically what low income means. Um, and it's uh, in the, so the governor's office of planning and research published guidance about how to determine what a disadvantaged community means per SB 1000. So that's the guidance that we, that we followed. So that first screening, we don't make that screening. The second screening do um, those 16 census tracts. And then the third level of screening is further incorporating. Um, so taking the data that we have, what we, what we, you know, the data say we have um, and ground truthing it and saying, you know, going out to the community and saying, does this reflect your experience? Do some of these communities not belong on this list? Do some of them should, are we missing one? So through that process, that was how we added, and I think I mentioned this last time, um, we expanded the Cherryland um, census tracts to include the entirety of the Cherryland CDP, whereas before it had excluded um, a single census tract at the southern part of Cherryland. Okay, so my question is, is there's all these um, categories in this document that, mm -hmm. that would have been looked at based on certain criteria. All of those have something to do with um, economics as far as uh, um, affordability uh, and things like that. I mean, every one of these things, does it apply to, quote, lower income? Or is that, you know, here's all the criteria to make this decision. And yet we, uh, you know, we hit this second tier piece. So is there elements that are not in this document that were based on kind of criteria number one versus criteria number two? Or did you, does all this just apply? Because that would does that affect the load on the rest of the unincorporated area? That would be my question. And um, secondly, to, you know, the decisions that we're making right now, you know, it's always funny. Things start out and, um, even like a tax. Well, it's only a penny, but once it starts, it never ends. And um, so pretty soon, you know, we're on this other side of this thing. And my concerns always as all these things start, you know, what, how is it going to affect like decisions and things that are going to be made for, our future projects and our economic development in our community. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's but all of these things somehow are going to pile on somewhere. I'm just curious. And I don't know if there's even an answer. So I, I can, um, I can start with, uh, I guess maybe a little bit more about the, um, the screening and the communities that ended up popping up in the screening. Um, what. What the legislation calls for is for us to identify whether we have any communities that meet their definition of dis disadvantage, right? And so right. that is a broad definition. It includes these different tiers. And it doesn't mean that one is more, you know, more or less important than the other, just that um, if we have a, a community that meets that definition, we're required to go through this process. Okay. And so we did have those. And so we did go through this process. Um, and it requires us to look at all of those six topic areas. Um, and that doesn't mean that every community, yeah, I, I think uh, an example would be, um, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I think um, like uh, groundwater threats uh, and releases from toxic facilities, that would be something that might be a really big concern in a community like Oakland close to the port or Richmond would be a good example, right? Where they're experiencing releases, toxic releases from facilities as a you know, as that a threat. should just be a blanket. I mean, I that should apply to anybody, right? I, regardless of your economic situation. Absolutely, yeah. And and um, the, but I guess what I'm what I'm getting at here is that um, that is less of a threat to these 
you know, unincorporated communities in particular, just because we don't have right. a lot in the way of those types of facilities here. So we're not required to do a deep dive into things like problems. We're not required to find problems that don't exist. What we're doing is, you know, going, looking at the, at the data and talking to community about the problems that do exist and then writing policies to address those. So, so like freeway, freeway pollution. And like we've talked about, we can't do a whole lot about the freeways, but we can do some things about the way that our buildings are hardened against freeway pollution, for example, um, and access so, to health. So part of this, so part of this, okay. So there is a, there's a lot of, you know, reasonable components to this, whether I agree or disagree, that's not in question, but is there part of this um, plan? Let's just say that it gets implemented. And so first of all, as Chuck had made a comment, you know, everybody thinks the quote green electric car, I mean, whatever, we, we're going to, we can have a debate on that all night long. However, let's say that um, an application comes through and this is going to affect some kind of development. It obviously will at some point. Is there going to be a process put in here to allow someone to debate or to be able to, I mean, short of spending years with legal battles, trying to um, reverse something based on somebody's opinion, is there going to be a process as part of something like that? It'd be really nice to see because I've watched things just, they just spiral out of control and so many developers and so many really good projects that could benefit Alameda County, these, they won't invest the money here. There's just too many layers. So, I mean, it would be nice if there was a way for, if an applicant came in for say a huge, like a transit project somewhere to be able to, if this came up against them, to at least be able to defend it and, and come up with a process that would be reasonable and not a never ending battle. Okay, that's it. I'm sorry. Thank you, Ken. Right. Vice Chair Padro, have you anything? Thank you, Mr. Chair. And Mr. Carbonia, last comment made was right on. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Ladies, thank you. Liz and Ali both, thank you for your hard work. It's been apparent, it's obvious, and I appreciate what you've done going back to the table and coming back to us this evening, so thank you. One of my colleagues just used a comment a few moments ago uh, that this document is really a mission of intent. And I think that in that light, we need to really kind of look at it as a living document, as opposed to something etched in granite, uh, not to be flexible in the future for the very reason that Mr. Carboni and my other colleagues have mentioned. I concur with all their comments, but I think something like this is subject to constant scrutiny and kibitzing until the cows come home. I mean, you know, regardless of how much we explore, examine, redefine, dig through, you know, uh, unpack all the nice little words we, we've gotten accustomed to using, uh, it, it's always going to be, there's going to be other questions and modifications and all that. So I think that in keeping with that spirit, in general, I am pleased, just as one council member. Uh, I was particularly pleased this evening in seeing the, the uh, just extrapolating pocket, you know, the pocket parks and how we're gonna handle those and how we're gonna uh, ask a UP Railroad for additional in, in, you know, interest in health and safety. And because that's been a, a, a difficult area off and on for quite a long time. Uh, uh, we, as a as a body, uh, has had difficulty with code enforcement on evening and weekends for quite some time. So that's certainly something we can hang our hat on. And then lastly, uh, I was particularly pleased with page 4-22, having to do with the collaboration of proceedings. 
and having a dialogue between the three or four entities as opposed to them sometimes marching to their own drummer, okay? So uh, having said those things, the last two comments I'd like to make is uh, I have a, a lot of interest in how our partners, and we've identified some other partners that are not uh, under the under the jurisdiction, so to speak, of the county, you know, how their buy-in and cooperation is going to be cleaned. And the second thing I'm somewhat concerned with is one of the last pages having to do with uh, the ongoing collaboration and accountability of the planning department. And it seems that it'll going to rest pretty much in the environmental justice and implementation technical advisory committee. That's a big mouthful, but uh, essentially, uh, I asked the last couple of meetings we, you've conducted here with us, uh, how this is really nice. A lot of these areas will really be benefit the community as a whole, but how are they gonna be overseen? How are they gonna be addressed? How are they gonna be implemented? How are they gonna be monitored? How is the accountability? Because I can see a committee of four to three to five people. And here we're talking about trying to put something like this together environmental justice element that is way and beyond their authority, their scope. Is that really going to happen or is this just going to be just another document that we put on the back shelf because we've sufficed, you know, we've, we've satisfied some regulations or whatever. Anyway, on the whole, I, I, I am really pleased with how we're approaching this. So thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. Uh, I'll start off can, with. I'm sorry. Go ahead. County maybe address that last comment sure. about accountability and not having all of this work just turn into a pamphlet that sits on a shelf. Um, so we have thought a lot about that since the beginning of this process. Um, I, I'm not sure how familiar uh, we haven't. We haven't come around and done a presentation on the Ashland Cherryland Community Health and Wellness element. Um, it was developed before. Uh, Castor Valley wasn't involved, um, and it was developed before there was an Eden area map, so it just went to the Planning Commission about 10 years ago. Um, that document is actually very similar in scope, um, has a lot of really amazing policies, and we've heard from partners that they carried that document around with them to meetings, to you know Board of Supervisor meetings for years, uh, because it was a really meaningful document. Um, and we also heard frustration um, that there wasn't a process in place for implementation, um, that there wasn't sort of an ongoing um, accountability mechanism built into the document. So we heard that from the beginning, and we were really concerned, you know, to the extent that we at the planning department, right, who have authority over ourselves, sort of, um, but don't have authority over the public works agency or the healthcare services agency or outside agencies, right, outside the county altogether, who, who really do have big impacts on um, people's lives here. Um, so we, uh, we built in policies into um, the, they're all the policies that start with sevens toward the end of um, chapter four into the community or the, the civic engagement section. Um, we built in policies specifically looking at um, how we will implement this document. Let's see where, oh no, actually, I'm sorry. We built it into to the first section of policy, the very first. So centering environmental justice, um, where did we put them? Uh, so starting it's policy uh, EJ 1.4, page 4-4. 4 
Um, so we, you know, we can we can say how we're going to implement the policies. We wrote policies about implementing the policies. Um, so actively implement this EJ element in partnership with priority community residents, establish that TAC, um, working with the community to set implementation goals, and then providing um, annual reports to the Board on Incorporated Services Committee and the Planning Commission uh, beginning in 2025. So if this document is, up, uh, is adopted this year, beginning next year, we will start reporting out our progress to the Board on Incorporated Services Committee um, and the Planning Commission um, so that the public here's what we're doing um, and how we're doing it and on what timeline we're doing it and has a chance to comment and has a chance to uh, to tell the, you know, the relevant supervisors um, and the planning commission what they think of, um, you know, of the work and how it's progressing. So um, let's see what else. And then of course, translating the document itself into Spanish um, and into uh, summaries into other languages. So if, um, uh, you know, advocates, uh, folks who speak other languages want to bring this document around to their communities to further engage, they'll, they'll have that opportunity. So um, while we don't, you know, the planning department, we can't tell other agencies what to do, um, but we are doing everything that we can to build in opportunities um, for collaboration and ongoing, you know, we're trying to build in that accountability through things like report outs, um, through the TAC, by including, you know, and I don't want to say including, through community being an integral part of the implementation. Um, they have been integral to the development and we're not going to stop including community once it's it's um, it's developed. So part of, you know, community continuing to be engaged, the Ashland Chairland Healthy Communities Collaborative continuing to be engaged is to, to continue to give them ways to hold the county accountable. Um, so I know that that's not the, you know, it's, it's, it, it, people want this to have teeth and maybe it doesn't have the teeth that, that, uh, that, you know, we'd like for it to have, but it is a general plan document. Um, it is a, it is a vision of what health and wellness could look like, um, in the, these priority communities going forward. Um, and, and we're really doing everything, you know, everything that we can think of. Of course, you have more ideas for how we could, uh, could build in accountability. I'd love to hear them, but we've definitely, um, it's been a, a big and important part of the discussion for the last several years. Good. Yeah. Very good. Good, good question. Good question, Shannon. Thank you. Um, all right, I'm going to channel Council Member Carboni and try not to be redundant and duplicative. And I, I do want to start by being redundant and duplicative <laughs> and, and saying that I, I, I support uh, the rest of the council and in, in the belief that you guys have really put heart and soul into this, worked it very hard. You've listened, you've incorporated uh, much of what you've heard into this into this document, and it's, it's much appreciated. Um, so thank you, thank you for that. Um, I do wanna say that I'm just getting sick and tired of um, the county being governed by Sacramento. Uh, you know, here we have SB 1000 uh, mandating that environmental justice objectives be either built directly into the general plan, so rewrite the general plan or come up with uh, the environmental justice element. And uh, how how like um, Sacramento to provide seven objectives without any standards or guidelines accompanying. Um, so we're gonna 
we're going to increase access to public facilities at what i mean this has been talked about at what level we're going to increase access to healthy food at what level i mean what you know one percent ten percent what you know who knows and i think that's a lot of what's been what's been gone now uh, and i i just if sacramento's listening of course they dial into the mac meeting governor newsom i see him on the attendees list uh, pay attention up there The whole concept, you know, as, as Councilmember Moore brought up, um, the citizens of Alameda County are, are horribly at risk uh, because of the timing of the county's management of the housing element. And it's an eight-year cycle. We know when it's coming. <laughs> we know when it's due. Um, yes, COVID happened. Uh, Yes, maybe consultants were were busy. I I, I just I, I don't believe that the people of Alameda County have been served by our uh, attention to the handling of the housing element. I really don't. Councilmember Killebrew brought up. Uh, climate change being missing, but I, I think the bigger issue is what she called the synthesis of policy. And, and that's that's a brilliant phrase and it's a brilliant concept. And while we have um, a, climate, a community climate action plan and we have an environmental justice element, there's, there's no synthesis. Um, it's going to take duplication of effort, it's going to take uh, operational uh, inefficiencies to manage both of those things. And it, it, it happens a lot. I, I think we see it a fair amount. And and I, I just, I, I love that. I love that concept. And I love the, that is kind of a gut check, you know, uh, are we creating something that's going to require inefficiencies and duplicative management and are we creating that and and if so we should step back and look hard at it so thank you for that and again that would that would better serve the people of, of alameda county um, that's other than agreeing with with my my council members here that those are my comments. And staff is asking for um, forwarding the second draft to the planning commission with a recommendation that the environmental justice element be adopted by the board. So I guess our choices are um, we can do that. We can elect not to forward it. We can elect to forward it with suggestions and commissions uh, or con commissions conditions a la including a climate or uh, climate change elements. So we, you know, does anybody have anything 
that we would like to include if we choose to forward this to the planning commission. Well, can we, I would like to define what, how we're defining this actually. Right, is it a vision statement, an aspirational definition, as council member Prokopov said, or, or does it have, you know, is this actual policy that's going into our general plan? I think that that's, I don't know that that's been made clear to us what the ask is. Um, how are we defining this document? I think as a vision statement and an aspirational definition of what environmental justice looks like, I think that I would vote yes. Now, is this, you know, policy that we're going off of that has teeth to it, that has actual data that matters now from here 10 years out? I'm hesitant. So I think that that's what we need to define. We need to define the document and what its use will be for the next eight to 10 years. Thank you. I, I have a hard time, though, Chair. I have a hard time supporting this, um, the way it's put together. Um, it, for me, it, it feels like it's incomplete. Uh, there are no measurements. There's no timelines. There's no dollar budgets on anything. Um, it's very vague and it's very, very generic and very general. Um, and, um, and, and I think there's parts of it, the, um, that, that need to go, uh, that need more definition about where we're going. And, uh, so I, I wouldn't support moving this forward. I think it's incomplete and I think, um, it's dated and, um, and, uh, I, I just, and, and and it's really a it's really only addressing a very very small part of the unincorporated area it seems like and it's really directed towards ashland material when you look through most of it yeah all right so one of and part and of the part of castro valley right and there's a lot more to castro valley than ashland cherry land i mean if ashland cherry land wanted to adopt this that would be fine for me because it's really addressing their area. It's really not addressing Castro Valley and the issues here, as far as injustice or justice. I hear what you're saying, Chuck. And, and before we before we wrestle with um, what sounds like the bones of emotion, I'd kind of like um, Liz and Allie to address what Shannon asked, which is, what are we talking about here in terms of this effort, this document. So I'm putting this over here because I think Liz will have things to say about this, um, having more experience with general plans than I have. Um, but a general plan is a long range vision. You know, it's, it's a document that expresses the, the community's long range vision for its development. So it doesn't specifically um, require that development happens. Uh, you know, that, that specific development happens. It doesn't require that specific things are built. It, it, it serves to shape the way that the development that's already happening in the general plan happens um, with environmental justice in mind and with the needs of, um, of disadvantaged communities in the unincorporated area in mind um, and consistent with the requirements of, of SB 1000, of course. Um, I don't, do you want to add anything to that, Liz? So, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't want to 
development needs to be consistent. We always tell this to people when they call in at the zoning counter. Um, development needs to be consistent with both the general plan and zoning. Um, but the general plan really is, by definition, um, a fairly general, visionary, long-range document. Um, and a lot of the implementation that would be happening, uh, implementation of many of the items, I mean, I would say all, really, of the items in this document, I think people, some folks really want this document to immediately implement all of these things. But, but in reality, um, everything here will require further public process. So a, the development of, for example, an urban greening master plan, um, that doesn't just happen when this document is adopted. That is, a, that is another process. Um, and that's, fortunately, that's a process that requires a lot of expertise around trees. So we could get some folks with expertise around trees in the house to like help us really figure out what, what does an equitable urban greening plan look like for the unincorporated communities. Um, and it gives us a chance to really do that deep dive and do that public process on each of these in individual items specifically. And there are a lot of items in here so as Liz mentioned, um, a lot of, you know, we're going to have to depend on what funding becomes available, um, what uh, programmatic goals the county has already set, work plans that are already in place, um, funding opportunities that come up, staffing opportunities that come up um, to help shape where we go with, um, with implementation first. So I don't know if that helps at all. Okay. It does help. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Shannon, would you be willing to put what you just heard in the context of your question of, of what are we dealing with here? Well, I, I, if, if I understood correctly, um, it is more of a vision statement that's going to help us guide, that's going to help us um, determine more specific policy through other processes. Is that yes. fairly accurate? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. So back to um, back to back to the choices. Uh, order to the planning commission with a recommendation, as is with a recommendation to uh, recommend approval to the board of, to the board of supervisors forwarded to the planning commission without a recommendation to um, have them recommended to the, the board of supervisors or do the latter with uh, the caveat of attaching some conditions. And I'd be willing to entertain any, any motion whatsoever or talk about conditions that we may want to change. Um, I, I don't know if this is actually a condition, but it seems like something worth discussing, the uh, community, community climate action plan. It sounds like, Ali, that you were thinking that there were cross-referencing and alignment that needed to be happening between this document and that. So there, there is some cross-referencing, uh, but I'm, it, it occurs to me that it might be helpful for us to point that out, um, to have pointed that out in this process. Um, so you're not seeing, like, for example, you're not seeing the policies that did make it into the Community Climate Action Plan that do specifically reference the priority communities and the EJ element. So they are cross-referenced, but because we're not presenting them to you 
both at the same time tonight. You're not gotcha. seeing them, so yeah. I apologize for, for that. Got it. Yeah. Um, that's one real quick question now. Have I missed an alternative? Have I missed an option in terms of the choices that were that are in continue. front of this council? You could continue this. You could continue, yeah. right. Sure. Uh, Allie, I have in your presentation this evening, one of the er earlier pages stated its purpose to achieve consistency with SB 1000, and it continues on. That particular purpose I cannot find in this presented document. Is it there? It's not. Okay. Not, not in those words. No. And I was wondering if by chance this would add some meat and understanding to what uh, Councilmember Kilderbrew brought up and maybe help us better make a decision this evening as opposed to continuing it uh, or uh, any other action we may see fit. Because that purpose seems to uh, incorporate many of the things that we're kind of wondering about and it just addresses to achieve consistency. Well, that's kind of okay. And to ensure that land use policy and decision-making within the priority communities, support healthy and equitable community development. Well, that's pretty open-ended. And so it's almost like a mission statement of sorts. So I, and I, as I was quickly going through the document that you'd essentially be submitting as such, that this purpose was not contained in there. I, I, I just thought I'd point that out. That's yeah, no, that's a really great point. It's, uh, it's sort of generally said, but not in those specific words um, exactly. in on page one one dash two so yeah i think that was a great idea to have it right up front capsulizes you know right up front exactly thank you yeah well, um, i don't believe i've heard anything that resembles a desire for continuance correct me if i'm wrong And I guess at this point, I would uh, be willing to accept a motion to either accept or. Yeah. Um, I will make a motion to send the um, draft to the planning mission with a recommendation that the environmental justice element be adopted by the Board of Supervisors with the condition that the purpose statement as we were presented is incorporated into the document. Do we have a second? We have a second that, please. All right. Any discussion on that? We have the vote, please. Yes. Member Thomas. Yes. Member Prokopov. Uh, yes. Member Killebrew. Aye. Member Carboni. Yes. Vice Chair Padro. Aye. Chair Mulgrew. Aye. 7-0. Member Moore. Well, I can tell you what that is that I said earlier. No. Uh, six, uh, six to one. Thank you all very much. We are on to chair's report i have nothing for this evening and i want to thank the council for um the great insight and again good positive and supportive comments and uh good job staff
All right, uh, subcommittee reports. We had an economic development subcommittee report last week. Is there anything new? We moved our second meeting to February 29th. Awesome. Are you gonna do that every four years? <laughs> yes, meetings will now be every four years on February 29th. All right. And do we have anything on the City of Hayward 238 parcel subcommittee? I have no update. Thank you. Uh, council announcements, suggestions, ideas, reports. I have, I have, um, I have a couple of questions, but I'm, I just need some clarification from staff, and then we can decide if it actually applies to us or not. Um, Rodrigo, um, I have a question, and there's a. I guess it's a process that's existing right now with um, uh, like, for example, a development project or um, say I brought in a set of plans, you approve them, so on, I pay for my permit. I get, I get to the building department and now I pay my uh, fee to, for my building permit, right? And I have like a year to complete that process, right? And along with that, for me to be able to apply, let's say I'm, I'm going to use a utility, like I got a, it's going to have new water or a PGE or East Bay mud. Okay. They won't allow or you to, they'll allow you to apply, but they want to make sure that you have your building permit. So now PGE holds, say it holds a project up, does not give them uh, like a date to do anything for say six, eight, 10 months. And it eats up almost the whole permit time that somebody's waiting. And then basically, by the time that PGE gets to uh, whatever they're going to do with the project, the applicant's got to go back and pay for the next round of fees because it's already it's going to exceed a year to continue the building permit. Is there a way or how do you see fixing this? Because it's getting worse by the day. And I'm just curious. Um, because some of these things amount to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars just in waiting for PGE. It's not the county's fault, but it is, it's, it's part of the process. And so I'm just curious how that looks. It's, it was a really large project. I don't even know what that could cost in dollars. So I'd have to check in with the public works agency to see if it could be based on the fact that there's a letter saying, hey, somebody's waiting on PGE. Could it be just an automatic extension? That would be, that would, that would probably really help. I mean, you know, they're already extending fees on these projects. And so this has been brought up to me by, from a couple of different people that are working on things. But it's not the county. We're not being held up by anything but uh, PGE, right? So, or, or East Bay Mud. So so I can send an email to uh, Public Works Building and Inspection Department's building official. Uh, okay. And copy you on it tomorrow. Okay. Right. And that way we can At least we can figure out if that's something that, how, the, how they could be dealt with. Because obviously we can't do anything to PGE or East Bay Mud. Right.
never. I don't, I don't think that's all the things you can say. Well, you know, obviously the, the, the south end, the south third, was done very nicely. But once you pass uh, the halfway mark, it is just, it's really rough terrain. Really rough terrain. And I know we've got winter right upon us right now. But uh, it's just going to further erode. And I didn't know what the what the intention or plans were moving forward on that. I, I, I can tell you that. Um, I, I got involved a little bit. That was um, Public Works. Um, they have a contract to pave the entire hill. Last year, um, they stopped at the county line, even though um, uh, the uh, contractor society they finished that up. But uh, because it was so late in the season and the environmental reports uh, that needed to be done for that paving, um, put it on hold until uh, probably after April of this year. That's what uh, Public Works told me. Do we have any uh, staff announcements, comments, or that at this time? I want to thank uh, our hardworking staff for keeping us housed and dry and connected. Eight oh eight. We are adjourned. Thank you.